Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, where he will see you. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. To turn back to Matthew chapter 28, and... um, uh, Lauren, could you come up and help me, I, I, and if possible, uh, a helper as well, maybe two or even three, because I've got this black cloth here, and I've been trying to find a hole in it. Do you think you could, could you, could you how, about a, how about a Sanders or two? Thank you very much. Could you bring it up here and just stretch it out and hold it up so that everybody can see it? And maybe one on this side and one on that side, right up in the middle. And, um, and who else? Can I have another volunteer? One more, put a hand up. Would you like to come up? Yeah, thanks. Now, would you like to see the end of this? You could just let that go. Yeah. Piece of wool thread there. Um, I've just been trying to push it through this black cloth. Um, so I've been looking for a hole for it. Can you have a little look? Can you find a hole anywhere? sure because I really want to get that bit of thread through the through the cloth there isn't a hole anywhere in it try just sort of holding it up against it and pushing with the thread yeah come through I pull from the other side I'll tell you what I've got a needle here do you know how to thread a needle do you think you could do that we might need a help here, but I think we're going to do it. Oh, well done. Okay, now come around the back. Okay, now right in the middle. Let's pull lots of the thread through so that we don't lose any of it. That's it. Now see if that makes a difference. Can you push it right through the middle? That's it. Now come around again the other side. And pull it right through. That's it. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. You can go and sit down now. Give them a hand, everybody, would you? Well, we've just seen on the video one imaginary interview. Here's another imaginary one that Easter. Joseph of Arimathea arrives home on Good Friday evening. His wife looks like thunder. He's clearly done something wrong. I'm furious, she says. I can hardly speak I'm so mad at you. Why, what have I done, says Joseph. 
Tell me it's not true. Please, tell me it's not true. What? Tell me you didn't give our family tomb to a convicted criminal. You knew. It cost us all our life savings, not to mention the hours it took you to cut it out of the rock. I cannot believe you would do such a thing. Calm down, woman. He only wants it for the weekend. (laughs) But of course, Joseph wasn't to know that on Friday evening. In fact, on Friday evening, he'd have thought it as unbelievable as the Roman guard and the Jewish priest. Let me illustrate it with another claim. I've come to believe, you may find this hard, that pigs can fly. I know you can't imagine I'd be so stupid, but pigs can really fly. Did you know that? I saw a pig flying the other day. I was walking across Wandsworth Common, and this pig flew right in front of me. And I was so astonished, I raced back home and told all the family that pigs can fly. Uh, They were thrilled to hear this wonderful news, and they have embraced it with all their hearts. So we have formed a club called the Hoglodites, and our central belief is that hogs can fly, and one day you will too. If you don't believe that pigs can fly, you're not really a true Hoglodite. And at all our meetings, we will cry out, Hogana in the styest. Okay, enough of this nonsense. I'm telling porky pies. Pigs don't fly. We all know that. And if I wanted to start the Hoglodite movement, I doubt I'd get many takers. Why? Because the idea of pigs flying is unbelievable. But the idea of a resurrection to the Jew and the non-Jew was equally unbelievable. And that's the point. You see, in the Greek and Roman world, a resurrection was impossible. Their whole thinking was that the body was evil and the soul was good. So at death, the soul was liberated from the evil prison of the body. No soul would ever want to return to a body. It was unthinkable. Unlike the Greeks, the Jews did believe in resurrection, but only at the end of time, when the Messiah comes and renews the entire world, removing all suffering and death. The idea of a solitary resurrection in the middle of history, while suffering was continuing, was unthinkable. So do you see, to the Greek and the Roman and the Jew... The resurrection of Jesus was unthinkable, as unbelievable as pigs flying. No one would ever have made up the idea, not even Jesus' disciples, unless it had actually happened. Now, why do I say that? Well, because maybe we've got the idea today that people in the ancient world were ready to believe that sort of thing. Not true. There was nothing like it in Judaism or Greek or Roman belief. Then, as today, dead people do not come back to life. But these resurrection stories of Jesus, they concern a man they all knew. He was executed publicly and he was seen alive, so they said, 
alive and well on the third day following his burial. And there were claims by over 500 people that they'd seen him. Now, do you know who said this? Christmas is important, but Easter is decisive. Yes, it was our very own Arsene Wenger. He was talking, of course, about the place in the premiership football table. By Christmas, it's very important where you are in the table. By Easter, it's probably decided. Uh, I think they're third, are they? Any Arsenal supporters here? Fourth, okay, that's since Saturday. Well, never a truer word was spoken. Matthew is writing in the first century to Jewish believers in Jesus, who would have been thrown out of the synagogue of the Jews and were certainly in debate with the synagogue down the road. And you can almost hear the debate in the undertones of Matthew's final chapter. It was the critical issue, almost the only issue separating Jews and Christians in the first century. Have you got it open in front of you? Matthew 28. Did he or did he not rise from the dead? Is it true that even if Christmas is important, Easter was decisive? No, said the synagogue. Yes, replied Matthew. And you can almost hear Matthew saying, you know, if we had made it up, we wouldn't have made this up. So when I say from now on, if he'd made it up, will you say with me, he wouldn't have made this up? If he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up. Let's try it all together. If he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up. And these are the pointers Matthew gives us. Now, first, there were these dubious witnesses in verse 1, the women, of course, and no offense is meant to today's congregation in church. But all of this is brought to us through female witnesses. And you know, women's testimony in the Greek and Roman world counted for very little, as we heard last Sunday. Women could not bear witness in a court of law. And God perpetrates the supreme irony of having women as the first witnesses to his son's resurrection. Now, even the disciples doubted the women. No one would have made that up in the first century unless it was actually true. But Matthew records and records accurately the account of the events just as he remembered them. But if he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up, these dubious witnesses. Then secondly, the circumstantial evidence. Look at verses 2 to 6. Because there's no witness to the resurrection itself. Did you notice that? It's all circumstantial evidence. The women didn't actually see Jesus rise from the dead. No one saw Jesus emerge from the tomb. None of the gospel accounts witness to the actual resurrection. What have we got instead? Well, instead, there's this strange account. Look at verses 2 to 4. A rumbling quake, a strange disappearance of the guard around the tomb, an even stranger messenger 
Look at verses 5 to 7. He brought words of comfort, don't be afraid. Words of understanding, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Words of explanation, he's not here, he's risen as he said. Words of assurance, come and see the place where he lay. Words of command, go quickly and tell his disciples. And words of encouragement, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Incidentally, the stone was rolled away, of course, not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. Now, who would have made all that up? And made it up, but omit to fabricate an eyewitness account of the resurrection. The resurrection itself. Do you see, if he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up. This circumstantial evidence. And then thirdly, the unspectacular appearances of Jesus. First to the women... Verse 9, and then to the 11 disciples in the final paragraph, verses 16 to 20. Matthew records two appearances of the risen Jesus out of the several that are recorded by the gospel writers. Uh, All in all, one person at a time, two people, three, a dozen, as 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 well as a huge crowd. And this is another powerful strand in the evidence of the resurrection. Uh, The thing that you notice is that the accounts are so ordinary, so commonplace. They are varied, artless, matter-of-fact, unembellished. Compare the drama of the other details. The curtain ripped in the temple, the earthquake, the blazing white angel, the huge stone rolled away despite the guard over it. By contrast, the actual encounters with Jesus are totally unspectacular. A wave from the seashore, not coming to them walking on the water. A barbecue on the beach with fish already cooked on it, not a miraculous multiplication of bread. A walk along the road with two disciples staring at their feet, not startled into recognizing him. A meeting in the garden. At first sight, was it the gardener? Not a repeat of the transfiguration. Do you see, Matthew's hinting to us again, who would have made that up? The accounts are as convincing in what they don't claim as what they do. It's all so understated. I say again, if he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up. These unspectacular appearances. And fourthly, this element of doubt at the end. Look at verse 17. Because the transformation of Jesus' followers is one of the wonders in the Christian claim for the resurrection. The two Marys had approached the tomb with deep mourning for a dear friend, now dead, their teacher. And they returned that day with an overwhelming sense of awe and an indestructible joy 
to tell the others about Jesus who'd come back to life and greeted them. Now, their response was they worshipped him. But again, do you notice, with a quite innocent, uncontrived simplicity, when Jesus appeared to the disciples in verse 17, they too worshipped him. But Matthew adds, some doubted. If you'd made that account up, would you have added something like that? It has such a ring of truth about it. Because, of course, they could scarcely believe it. Dead men don't come back to life. The idea that they may have been more gullible to believe such a thing in the first century than we in the 21st, well, actually, it's probably the other way around. They were very familiar with death. They watched crucifixions. They saw dead bodies hanging on crosses. They knew there was no way back. So is the resurrection true? Matthew has given his reasons for believing it. But he adds something else. He tells us quite candidly that the synagogue along the street didn't believe it for a moment. They gave a very different account of what happened that first Easter. You see, a wide Jewish explanation was that the disciples had come and stolen the body while the guard had slept. Nobody denied the tomb was empty. But Matthew had a different explanation for the rumor. He says this, Consider the two messages that have come back from that grave. One to the disciples carried by the women, that Jesus is alive. The other to the chief priests carried by the soldiers, that the body had just gone. And the interesting thing is, Matthew is clearly sensitive to this rumor. He acknowledges it in verse 15. It's still current in his day. But I say again, if he'd made it up, he wouldn't have made this up, this element of doubt. So many have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact, more fully attested than most ancient history that we take for granted. Every effort to account for the birth of the church apart from Jesus' resurrection, flies in the face of what we know about first-century history and culture. And what does this mean for us? Well, Bishop Tom Wright wrote, Take away Easter, and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take it away, and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wishful thinking. Take it away, and Nietzsche was probably right to say it was for wimps. You see, it's not just what proves the resurrection. It's what the resurrection proves that matters. 
And the resurrection proves that Jesus is a living Lord. He's alive today, and he deserves the right to be obeyed. The resurrection proves that there's going to be a judgment day, and Jesus will be the judge. Because the world, including we ourselves, whose sins sent Jesus to the cross, in a sense, we were responsible for killing him. And God raised him. That means trouble. It means Easter Day is very bad news for those who have yet to say sorry to God and turn to Christ. The resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice at the cross and that nevertheless we can be forgiven. The resurrection proves that Jesus is our great high priest. He's with us to help us in our weakness and his resurrection power is available to us today. And Easter tells us it's never too late for a miracle. And finally it tells us that death is not the end. Death, you see, is like that black cloth covering us in darkness. There's no way through it. But Jesus is like the needle that has passed through death and out to the other side. And if we are attached to Jesus like a thread through the eye of the needle, then we will come through safe. Even though we die, we will pass through death into eternal life if we're attached to Jesus. If. If. I wonder if any of you know the motto of Spain. It changed. The motto of Spain used to be, in Latin, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. It was inscribed on a pillar at the entrance to the Straits of Gibraltar. It was a warning to sailors not to go beyond the limit of the known world. Because, you see, Spain was thought to be the edge of the world, that was until Christopher Columbus discovered the new world across the Atlantic. And he returned, and his memorial statue has the words plus ultra. The ne has been scratched out. Plus ultra, there is more beyond. And it became the new national motto of Spain. And you see, Jesus has gone the other side of death and he has returned to tell us there is more beyond. So we're going to sing a song and then we're going to celebrate both his dying and his raising again. Let's stand. As the band are just getting ready, if you want to explore this further, and you're not yet convinced of this, we've got some copies of the booklet, Why Easter? They're on the table outside. Um, a copy of one of the Gospels, the other Gospel, uh, uh, Luke's Gospel. 
And that point I made about it's never too late for a miracle. His resurrection power is available today. We've got a collection of stories. We've called them Marks of God. And they're stories, real stories, in the real lives of ordinary people like us in this congregation who've witnessed and experienced um, miracles in our lives. We'd love you to take a, a free copy of that if you'd like to on the way out. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man, the wrath of God, has been on Jesus' lane. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, the cross my salvation will pour out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor run to thee from heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem, and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. Oh, the rugged cross. Oh, the rugged cross, my salvation, will poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor. 